This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to the MQ1 podcast, your audio hub for everything Milton Keynes Dons. Well, 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 what a week we've had. Um, two home games and, I mean, let's be honest, two really disappointing results overall uh, and something that we're definitely going to chat about a lot this episode and uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Uh, just, just myself this evening, uh, unfortunately Joe was meant to be recording with us but um, I've seen firsthand he is, uh, he's unfortunately fell very ill at the last minute so... Just with myself this evening, which um, will be, uh, I think, haven't done this l- solo pod in a long time, actually. So it'll be interesting to see how you guys enjoy it. And yeah, get my thoughts on, of course, Cheltenham at home on Saturday, uh, Charlton yesterday evening as we're recording this. Um, and yeah, of course, Fleet were coming up. And then I'll probably do a bit about the NFL draft also for any listeners towards the end of the episode, should you be interested. Um, but yeah, let, let's dive straight into Cheltenham on Saturday. Um, Obviously, we had our we had our little Don's fans village, which was an interesting concept. I mean, was it perfect? No, but is it a start for the club in terms of trying to interact with the fans more and get a bit of an atmosphere going before games? Yes. Um, so hopefully, that is something we see continuing moving forward and obviously growing and um, trying to get fans basically come back to the stadium, get more involved with the club because you know, they're better off going there than McDonald's or KFC or whatever before the game because. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and obviously it's put money back into the club also. So, yeah, it was good to see. Um, obviously, weather was decent also. So, it actually wasn't a bad day. And I think it got people fairly positive about the game. And obviously with Don's, uh, I know I know the Embiid to run is kind of a bit over sort of spoke about. Um, but it was existing at the time. And it was a it was six games Embiid at that point. So, heading into this, I think we found our chances. And to be fair to the lads, for they started the game pretty lively. Um, obviously, right at the start of the game, um, there's one chance from, from T where Mo wins the ball back, uh, passes it over to, I think it's Grant, um, and then gives it to Jules, who plays the ball into the box. It's an eye and good block from the Cheltenham defender, um, which could have been 1-0. Um, and then that start is kind of ruined by uh, an unfortunate and rare mistake from Jamie Cumming. Um, obviously, trying to play out from the back. Um, plays a pass pretty short to, I think it's Josh McEachran, gets detected by the Cheltenham player who very obviously and very composed uh, finish to go around Jamie Kemp make it 1-0 which yeah it was quite a disheartening start uh, from what 
from Don to you know obviously he had a pretty good start to the game and then went ahead and just ruined it within in the space of that five seconds which is frustrating but uh, they bounced back quite nicely um, in the first half of course from a, a run from Jack Tucker in his own half um, who managed to pass it on to Connor Grant uh, a little flick which uh, Grant hasn't got the assist for but I, I will give him the assist on that front um, which falls and ends up falling to Mayo just at the edge of the box and um, like like the man he is um, puts it bottom corner makes it one all and you know, a lot of people complain about Mo and he's always offside and um, that was definitely the case on both games, uh, this this sort of um, episode since the last one. But ultimately, he, he's on the pitch to score goals and, you know, he did it in this game on two occasions, of course. Um, he went to half-time 1-1 and then obviously the second half um, started off again quite brightly. Uh, the second goal just comes from a high press, really. Obviously, Grant kicks it off, but then uh, ultimately Tanai ends up pressing their full-back, wins the ball, uh, wins him in the beats him in the foot race uh, and gets brought down in the box, um, and then of course Mo steps up and takes fantastic penalties, to make it two one. I think at that point we're you know we're we're pretty comfortable where we're at. I think it's about 60, 60 minutes in something like that, and we're two one up, so we're pretty pleased. Um, and after that, I don't really know what happened to be honest with you. Um, obviously they they get their equaliser in the ninety eighth minute, um, but before that, a fantastic save from Jamie coming from a penalty. Um, of course, the actual decision of the penalty was probably a correct one. You know, Jack Tucker is the wrong side of his man. Um, I think his feet gets tangled and brings him down. It's definitely a penalty. It's, it's poor from Jack, um, who's been pretty good over the past sort of couple of months. So it's a shame to see that mistake creep up. Um, but yeah, Jamie redeemed himself a fantastic one-handed save from the penalty to keep us um, ahead. But yeah, as mentioned, they get their equaliser in, the, in the last kick of the game, pretty much. Um, really frustrating one. Um, obviously bombed down the wing from it's number 14, across into the box. Actually, I think the header might have been number 14, actually. And then saved by Jamie, but falls straight to uh, the informed man, Alfie May, who, of course, that was his first game to play of the month. And he crowns it off with a <laughs> an equalising goal to get Cheltenham May. Well, for them, a, a not a pretty pointless point. But for us, a, a massive, a massive, disappointing two points dropped, as Finn put it in his three-word review. Uh, to see us, you know, go from potentially being five points clear at relegation zone to... Uh, still being free clear, which is is not ideal at all. Um, you know, you, you watch that goal back so many times, and you're like, oh, could Grigg have brought the man down, or could he have done something to try and take him out, or, or could someone have done something in that galip, and they maybe could have. Um, and it's just frustrating, it didn't happen. You know, Samuel says about Grigg stopping the cross and stopping the cross in general. I think is a point there also. I think in both games, and we chat about it in Charles especially, there was just. I think the wing backs are just so focused on, and they're so focused on the team in general, trying to control the middle of the pitch that they're forgetting about the overlaps and the, the areas on the wing. And it's it's attacking wise also, but it's definitely defensively. And you know, if you stop that cross, you know, you, you go away with two extra points and a potentially a lot easier last three or four games of the season. Um, and our opposition overview, Ollie, a Cheltenham fan, said take the point, and uh, I bet he's buzzing with the point because. You know, it's ultimately, as Chris said, it's a missed opportunity for Dons. You know, I thought they actually played pretty well on the whole. You know, it was it was more of a traditional Dons performance. 60% possession, you know, 500 passes on the day. Um, forgot the accuracy rating, but I believe it's around the 80% mark or 75% mark overall. Um, but to ultimately only have 15 shots, same as the opposition on the day, is just not good enough. I mean, Jack Owen is his post-match, so there's a bit of a reluctance to shoot at the moment. I think for me, it's just more of a lack of quality opportunities you know we've, we're ultimately not getting I think in both games this week we're not really getting the players that we want in the box enough and I think 
one of the main reasons why we went on that, whilst it was mostly draws, that unbeaten run was that we were actually getting people in the box who, no, they were getting touches and they can ultimately create problems there and score goals. Um, and obviously, you know, the, I think the two times we really entered the, the Cheltenham box um, in that, on the game on Saturday, you know, it was it was two goals, wasn't it really? It was, it was a chance for Mo, which just inside the box. And then it was, uh, of course, it's a nice foul in the, the penalty box, which got a penalty and made it 2-1 to us. So, yeah, I think I think there is a mix of, maybe it is a reluctance to shoot. Um, and obviously, listen, Jacker works with the players um, every single day, so he has more knowledge than I do. But obviously, from watching the team myself and what I personally feel, I think there's more of a sort of emphasis on the lack of quality positions that similar players are taking up. And that isn't really helped by the overlapping system. Obviously, I want the overlapping to remain. It's definitely a feature that we have to continue moving forward for these games. But ultimately, we need our we need our Lecos and our Grants to be sort of inside forwards rather than these players who, and sort of being in round box rather than these players who are trying to sort of create space around Makeka and Magoma who are getting more and more advanced as we seem to be playing these games uh, and obviously not doing too much for me. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, um, but it's a disappointing result. Um, I know Ken wanted us to mention about game management and he, he, he said it was poor. Um, yeah, it was pretty poor. Um, obviously, I think that's just the case of a young squad. Um, I know Joe mentioned in his pretty much notes before he jumped on that he said it's a bit of bad luck and I, I kind of understand what he's saying. Um, I don't. I think there is an element of it, it being a bit of a younger team in many senses and they probably don't have the experience or mindset to just you know, park it in the corner for five, ten minutes and just basically um, run down the clock. But in the same breath, obviously, I mentioned one of our experienced players in Will Grigg had the perfect opportunity to just take down that man and just you know, take a yellow card. Who cares? You know, they're, they're, they're a poor for set pieces all day, really. So the fact that you're giving them no set pieces doesn't really bother us too much. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the goal comes from a cross where um, their players just towered over one of our defenders and then it just fell, fortunately, to Alfie May, who, as we know, is one of the best players in the league and one player him up for a reason. So... Um, yeah, it was a difficult performance to take overall. I I wasn't thrilled with anything really. I mean, we played okay. I mean, the positives, obviously, Mo getting two goals, that's fantastic. He want your striker scoring goals. Um, I mean, he obviously he missed that one-on-one chance, which is very frustrating. And if he actually had, he obviously saw what he should have done from that. Um, the Cheltenham player that scored their their first goal, and he couldn't do that. Um, and you maybe you expect a bit more composure from your your striker at that position, um, but you know when I've you criticised him too much when he scored two goals on the day, um, but he only touched the ball fifteen times in the game also, so he he was very much a high impact player, whether that's an, a positive or a negative situation um, when people look at. Um, again, I know I'll I'll keep banging uh, the Connor Grant drum until it's basically dead. To be honest, cause I thought he had a fantastic game. Again, should have been credited with the assist uh, for Isis first goal. Um, but, you know, his, I thought he was all over the place in terms of the, his positioning on the day. Um, was really getting stuck in in terms of actual duels. I think he had 17 on a day and won 11 of them. Um, and, yeah, was was basically what I expect my sort of forward to be like, really. All over the pitch, um, trying to win all back in all areas, but also being there for... The main man up front, Mo, or whoever it is up top, should just basically provide them support and give them those little flicks and um, little passes inside that ultimately 
create chances. And I was on this occasion, particularly for the first goal, that was the case. Um, I thought tonight Watson had a decent game also. Um, you know, of course, he had the assist for the another assist for the penalty that wasn't credited, but, you know, it counts um, if, if you're looking from a fantasy perspective. Um, but, you know, also as well as the as well as well uh, the technical assists for the penalty, free key passes, um, it was all over that, over all over that right-hand side all game. Uh, thought attacking-wise, he was actually decent, which I don't always say about tonight, to be honest. I'm, I'm very sceptical about his attacking sort of prowess going forward. Um, and obviously, me, myself and Joe and, and Ross, when he was part of the pub, was also sort of, um, suggesting that he should play right centre back moving forward, but overall I think we had a decent game here, and was given the license to, uh, yeah, basically I think attack that Cheltenham back line who we always knew we were going to try and sit back and sort of so get the pressure, and ultimately that second goal comes from um, T just giving them a bit of pressure and uh, yeah winning an assist, and he was pretty lucky maybe not to score a goal also from that chance in the first half. So I think overall it was it was a good performance that was just ruined by. The, the silly mistakes um, obviously the coming on for the first goal and then I think it's a lapse of maybe is it concentration is it just you know mentality from Greg who knows but ultimately you've got to take your man down in that situation and take the yellow card or take whatever it is because not only are you wasting time but you're also giving your team a, a chance to you know potentially get two points clear relegation or clear of relegation which is at this stage of the season absolutely massive um, so that was a shame, but overall, um, you know, we I think a point from that game, whilst it is frustrating, it it was an, another point gained, and I suppose to to try and take the optimistic approach, um, the unbeaten sort of streak carried on, and we, I think you had you had offered us at the start of the game, you'd maybe take it, but it was frustrating how it all came about. And then moving on to Charlton, I mean, I suppose the one thing we didn't get to see from that Cheltenham performance, because um, literally the the, the second goal was literally basically the final whistle. Um, you know, we saw we saw a bit of deflation from the Dons players after the game, but we never actually saw how they'd react to that type of situation happening to them. Obviously, seeding in the last minute is never nice for any team in any situation, but so this one was particularly deflating due to dropping of two points stage of season as mentioned and in many ways you know at this stage of season the players will be looking at the fixtures they've got to play and obviously when you see the likes of Charlton at home next uh, which is a a traditional Tuesday match whether it's home or away you know it's a tough match and I think if you look at from I I did I did feel we were going to lose the game before the game kicked off and I think you could tell from minute one that Ultimately, Charlton just wanted it more. And, and John Samuel puts it in a good way in saying that there was no desire whatsoever from that Don's team. And he's, he's completely right. Um, Charlton just looked sharper. But they showed more urgency. And, you know, whilst it took them a little while because their crossing was quite poor, I thought if they actually crossed the ball on the day, and the likes of, um, obviously, Payne, um, Albie Morgan, Scott Fraser, they could have been at least 2 and 3 and up by half-time. But it took them to, like, 60th minute to... Um, break through and it was a lovely finish from Jack Payne um, but ultimately Dons just gave them so much time and space to do what they wanted with the ball and it was just so poor um, Nick mentions how it was you know it's, it's spineless um, and it's free review is spineless times three uh, and James I know there was quite a few um, like <laughs> sweary ones but you know James said absolutely uh, fucking dreadful and I think he's I think that's I think that's my description of it all I think it was absolutely dreadful um, I think there's a real lack of 
desire from the team. They didn't look like they wanted it. Um, and I think the minimum, as Joe sort of said in his notes, as he was going to come on, he said the minimum requirement is maximum effort. And did we see that from the team on, on Tuesday night? Absolutely not. No way in hell did we see maximum effort. We probably saw maybe 10, 20%. Um, Leco was the only one that really looked like he was going to do anything going forward. At halftime, it was respective efforts from like really far out. Obviously, that chance on his weak foot where it was, I think it hit the post in the end, um, in the first half. That was the only one you were kind of like, oh, okay, we actually created a chance there. Um, and of course, the the one time also where we actually used width, and there was a real lack of width in this team um, on on Tuesday night. And every it's, it was it was pretty obvious what we needed to do because every time Jack Jules bombed down the wing or when we brought Kai Kai on. Um, he crossed the ball in. We always created a chance in the width. And when you're playing a midfield free, like using width is, is pivotal. It is how you're going to beat them. Because obviously they're going to be so focused on playing through the middle and playing through the lines, as you mentioned in our preview, that you're going to have to spread the play to try and stretch that out and ultimately give the likes of McEachern and McGoma space. But if you're not going to do that, then you're going to see what's happened here. And just literally they let they let like, the midfield free run the game. It was just ridiculous, and as mentioned, yeah, like the ice a chance. Um, I think there's quite a few others as well, like uh, later in the game. But when we actually utilised those wings properly, surprise, surprise, there was we actually created opportunities from them, and maybe we could have got something from the game because Charlton weren't impressive. Um, they didn't create many chances; they just had one good chance and scored from it. Um, their crossing was poor. They looked like a mid-table team, um, and we just looked like a team that's ready to go down to League Two, which is a real shame. Um, and yeah, the wing backs also, when we did actually get the ball sometimes, they kept doing these inverted runs, so inside into like where Magoma and Kekrin were. And it was just so uninspiring and unneeded. It just looked like they were just trying to do something for nothing, and I didn't particularly like it. I think it works nicely if you've got someone like um, maybe Leko on your side, so he's doing like an overlapping run, you can play it over to him. But when it's just like everyone's kind of standing still, not really knowing what they're doing, waiting for one player to do something so they can act off it. It's um it's quite pathetic to be honest and doesn't really offer too much for me um as an option. And uh yeah, that kinda of leads me to the next point in terms of what was the actual game plan from this game. Um because as mentioned, if they if they're not gonna use width, then the five back is quite pointless. Um you're better off just trying to overload the midfield and hope that, you know, one of your sort of or maybe try and match the formations, try and beat them man to man, but obviously I'm assuming Jacko had a game plan going into this one and the players just didn't want to execute it by the looks of things. It just, there was no real drive from them. Um, I'll put up the first half stats quickly to try and show you guys what I'm sort of trying to say in terms of there was no real passion from them. I'm sure if you're at the stadium, you've seen it. But like, for example, the first half in particular, you know, I mean, we had 50-50 basically possession, but... I don't. I don't even think stats really. Unfortunately, stats really show how bad we were because it just. It was just lifeless. It was like we were playing a friendly match and Charlton were just there to get some fitness. And obviously, when you're in a relegation battle, that that's clearly not going to work for you for anyone really. But the fact that Charlton dominated the ball, um, you know, minorly ultimately, but they did dominate it in general play um, and created more chances from their options. You know, it, it, in that type of game where they're really not playing for anything, is is quite pathetic to be honest. And you know, Don's had you know twelve corners on the day, looked absolutely terrible for every single one of them. Um, and 
I'd like to think in previous games we actually looked okay for set pieces. Not amazing, but enough to create some chances and cause teams problems. Um, and and this game, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, we we tried to play through the lines, which I, I don't mind. But against a team like Charlton, I, I don't know if that's going to work ultimately. Uh, as mentioned, you're probably better off using that width that you've got and just trying to see what you can do from crosses and get people into the box. You see so many times that Conor Grant was getting into holes and ultimately getting nowhere because he was either man-marked by two to three Charlton players because they had midfield numbers or the players around him like Mo, Leko, um, rather out on the wing trying to create width all of this work in the right area at the right time. Um, so it's creating such movement as well, but this didn't didn't really do enough in terms of, and that's why he got dragged off probably. It was a bit of a harsh substitution, but it was the right one because ultimately he wasn't, the players weren't giving him enough to do what he wanted to do. And that is arguably one of the most straight things that could happen. I know um, somehow uh, Zach Jules got man of the match for this game. Uh, I, I don't understand that at all. I mean, we were kind of laughing at some of the stuff he was doing last night, uh, ultimately in, in the in block 11, because I think from, we kind of saw from even even throughout the game actually what he what he should be doing in terms of being wing back and that's just using his just raw pace and obviously he's he's quite a big unit and he's Zach Jules so trying to just bully past people and get out of that wing and try and create space for people but even and then defensively also he was just backing off he, like there was I know it's a clip going on social media I think Joe tweeted out of him for that. Um, Raksaki chance second half he's just nowhere near either any of the Charlton players it's just ridiculous uh, um, and, you know to for, for a full back for me a wing back especially you know you've got to, if you're not going to defend well you've got to do attacking well uh, be, a, be an attacking sort of force as well and the fact that you only had two passes in the final third kind of <laughs> it's, it's, he might as well not been on the pitch. He might as well just brought on Kai Kai earlier and dragged him off and then switched Tanai to, um, to the left-hand side because at least with Tanai, like, he wasn't his best game as well, but at least I know he can defend. Whereas Zach Jules, from that performance, didn't show me anything. He can't defend, he can't attack. So what's the point in being on the pitch other than just a number and, you know, uh, uh, as, as some people would call a pretty face. So... I don't know, and, and that kind of roots into the next problem is that the opposition had way too much space on the day. Um, our pressing data must have been absolutely horrific um, for this game because the amount of time that Charles had, had on the ball was absolutely ridiculous. I know they've got quite a few tricky players like Payne um, and the likes of that who you know are, are going to find pockets and ultimately going to create opportunities, but the goal's a perfect example. It's just a drilled pass into Raksaki who flicks it onto Payne and... I mean, Jack Payne is Jack Payne. I said he was going to score before the game, and given that, if given that space on his left foot, he's going to he's, he's going to wrap it top bins, and he, he basically did that. Um, yeah, there was no real lack. As it's kind of links him with the no desire, and I think just overall just lack of commitment from the team. Um, no real desire to win the ball. Um, kind of looked like they gave up after five ten minutes, and just wanted to take a try and limit the limit the damage basically, which is. Very disappointing, and um, yeah, I mean, play like that against Saturday, and uh, we're in real trouble, I think. Uh, yeah, the final point is more of a general one. Um, I think there's been a real debate over quality over depth for the last couple of seasons. I've, obviously, with with, um, with Russell Martin's MK on side, it was all about you know getting those quality players in, but maybe having a reduced squad. So 
you, know, you could have burnout from time to time and injuries, but ultimately the players that you do have, the sort of 20 to 25, are like top, top, top players who um, will hopefully get you to a, a decent position in the league should you um, it click at the right time and should you keep people fresh and out of, um, out of the treatment room. Whereas uh, I think Liam Manning in his first window, um, obviously because it's his squad still basically, um, we've basically recruited a bunch of players who, whilst yes, we've got depth, we've we've got no real quality, not enough quality anyway. Um, we tried to dress it in January, but as we all know, there's so much you can do in January. And whilst I think Kai, Kai, Lecker and Magoma have all added quality to the squad, they are just all squad players. Um, if you want to, if you want to get to where we want to get to in terms of the championship and beyond, um, in terms of League One, so yeah, I, I think it's not. I think there's been I know there's been comments regarding Liam Sweeting. I don't want to speak too much on them, to be honest with you, because I know Joe wanted to speak about it tonight. But I think overall, our recruitment team are ultimately trying to provide what the managers are asking them to provide for them. Because people who think it's just Liam Sweeting does all this are just wrong, quite frankly. You know, I don't think people like Dan Kemp and Connor Coventry would be or would have been would have been or would be at the football club if it wasn't for Liam Manning, for example. Um, obviously, someone like Connor, it's, it's a different story. He was he was a fantastic player who was a good example of how you utilise your connections in the loan market to get a quality player like Connor in. Um, but on the whole, we have to, of course, you want to you want to um, sort of lead to your managers or head coaches' needs. But ultimately, we've seen when Liam Sweeting has taken like one hundred percent full control over the situation we've actually seen decent results from it. Um, you, know, you look at January, for example, with, with obviously um, Paris, uh, Jonathan Lecco and, and Kai Kai. You'd, you'd say that all three of those signings you'd take next season and put in your squad. And you know, they were all Liam Sweeting signings ultimately. And I, I'm sure Jacko said he wanted, I want this type of player, this type of player. But ultimately, they those signings were Sweeting signings. And I think also that the likes of well, for us, Martin was a great salesman and a great person um, in terms of actually getting plays into the door when, on his, before he left for uh, Swansea. Um, Liam Sweeting would have been the main person bringing those people into the into the club and selling them that vision. Um, and Russ was kind of just that sort of PR public figure that was also a really good head coach. So, whereas Liam Manning, for example, um, is a purely a coach. He's meant to be Im- improving the players. And as we saw didn't really do that and the players that you know he kind of maybe identified or wanted didn't have the quality that we needed um at the time and also weren't fit enough which we spoke about plenty of times on the podcast in terms of how the players um, trained before Mike Jackson came in and there's a reason why uh, new fitness staff have been employed to this hit the club since the situation happened so yeah, I think my main point is we have to focus on quality versus depth heading in moving forward. And in terms, I know Al mentioned about um, how big of a rebuild is going to be to repair what's broken. I think there'll be a fairly substantial one. I mean, I think the, the main figures will stay the same in terms of the figureheads. So the likes of Jackson will probably stay if he stays up. Um, obviously, Sweeting will stay here. Um and all of that, so I'm not too worried about that. The, f- the fan base is a difficult one. I really don't know. I mean, 
if they're going to play like they had it did last night, I mean, it's going to take so, so much time to do that because like, I, I rarely leave games. I, I left early last night. I, I couldn't bother with it, to be honest with you. It was just rubbish. Um, I know the, the players got booed off last night and they deserved to be booed off. It was terrible. Um, but yeah, no, it'll take seasons. Um, people, I mean, obviously, you can have a window like you, you did with uh, the summer of sort of last season with the likes of the players you brought in, but like those windows are so, so rare. Um as much as it's taken, you know, two, maybe two to three to four windows to build this squad, it's probably going to take another two to three at least to essentially repair what's happened on the pitch anyway. And as I've always emphasised on this podcast, it, it all starts on the pitch in terms of improving the club. Um, you know, I'm sure that the club would, will try and push ways to help build the club outside of on the pitch. But ultimately, the main objective um of it is to is to get out of the league and try and get out of league one and i think until we do that until we see a, a season like um the previous season um with with obviously that super team of twine darling etc not much will probably change um and, and we mentioned about on the counts episode um earlier this week in the fact that i think next season the council have a massive reflection on what's happened this season and There'll be a massive reduction of income, also. I imagine not not due to player illustrations, but definitely in terms of match day income overall. Um, so yeah, I think I think it'll take a little while. I think it'll take a couple of seasons. But um, the beauty of League One is that you know sometimes you get these you get these freak sort of teams who, but like us, really, you know, go from being a mid-table club, who to be fair did show progressive playoff form before that run. Um, go it's being a potential title challenger, and you just got to hope that especially from a Don's perspective, they can keep it together and not fall into the playoffs because we know what our playoff record is like. It is absolutely horrific. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think the main figureheads will stay the same, um, pending that we stay up. Uh, I really hope we stay up because lead two would not be fun with this squad. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it will take a few seasons um, to answer your question, Albie. Okay, I will take a short little break before we get into uh, Fleetwood and um, my thoughts on this man of culture stuff. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back and welcome back to, oh, I'll look ahead to Saturday against Fleetwood Town. Um, Obviously, after the past couple of games results, uh, this is a massive game now and does kind of feel that Dons may have to win it, to be honest. Um, Obviously, looking slightly ahead, you know, with, with Barnsley at home, his final home game of the season, and then Burton um, on the 7th of May, you know, 
those are, those are two pretty tough fixtures. Obviously, Barnsley, one of the better away teams in the league uh, and in the league in general. Uh, and Burton, who have, especially at home, been a, been a bit of a force this season in terms of uh, causing some surprises. So this game really is um, probably his must win. Um, there is an argument that says it must not lose. And that's, a, that's also a fair argument. But I think with the likes of majority of the teams having to blow it, having to play or we relegated Forest Green, who, whilst I showing some resilience um, against Fleetwood, funnily enough, and the midweek just gone. Uh, I, you have to think that with their twenty six points won this season, not got much of a fight against uh, the likes of the teams above the uh, yeah above them. So, yeah, it's going to come. I think this game is a lot bigger than people potentially realise right now, um, and it's important to look ahead at it. So. Taking a bit of a, a look at Fleetwood, so they're currently 13th in the league table on 54 points. Um, been a better away team this year. The home form is down in 19th this year with 25 points. So a bit of hope there for Don's fans potentially in the fact that you know our, our away form is in terms of the league table better than, than Fleetwood's home form. Of course, their gaffer is former Celtic uh, captain and obviously legend there, Scott Brown. Uh, coming up to his year anniversary as manager, um, I believe he took over towards the end of last season, or right at the end of last season. And did an okay job with Fleetwood, um, obviously being mid-table when his first campaign, uh, averaging 1.6 go- uh, points per game. Turns out it's set up, it's probably going to be a 4-2-3-1. Um, you have the sort of uh, star-studded League One duo of uh, Stockley and Jack Marriott, with Stockley kind of acting as a like a Kane and Son approach, whereas Kane, uh, Stockley is kind of like the Kane is like the second striker, and then Jack Marriott starting at top being more of the uh, the human Son type. But they will like to see, use the wings for like overlaps and crosses also. So it's important for Dons that they they keep those try and cover those areas and not leave them exposed, like against Charlton and um, some other teams. Because if that happens, um, fe- players like Phoenix Patterson are probably going to have a field day. Um, against our, our wing backs, which would not be fun. Uh, in terms of other data, so they're a top six pressing team in the league. So, you know, they're going to try and put the pressure on Don's in terms of in possession, which uh, I think in their own half they'll, they'll allow Don's to have that, to be honest, and just see if they can pick them off and try and counter attack with them. So I think it could be quite a scrappy game where I think ultimately individuals are going to have to win their battles and hope that's enough to get um, at least a point out of this game, if not all three. Um, I think if there is a glaring weakness to this team, uh, this Fleetwood team, it probably is set pieces, um, which after seeing our set pieces uh, midweek doesn't really bode too well. Um, in terms of in terms of stats, they've allowed the second most shots, uh, the second most ex- expected goals against, and the tied third most with MK. Funnily enough, for goals from set plays this season, so it's been a pretty pretty consistent um, statistic under Scott Brown that these guys are not very good against set pieces. So. If Dons can, you know, find themselves in areas where they're getting a lot of corners, like they did in midweek, and set pieces in the areas, then um, you'd hope that they can cast out one of those and maybe get a goal. But I think as well as that, it's it's vital to the the likes of um, Jonathan Lecco, Magoma, and Grant all start in this game. I think that we're going to need players who have that level of individual skill that can actually create something from nothing, um, and essentially get us that one moment of quality to get us a goal. I don't real, really think there's much point in paying the likes of Nathan Holland, um, maybe Maxine to bring one late, but definitely not to start. And Will Grigg, because whilst they 
are good at maybe hold up play and bringing others into play. They're not particularly players that I would say have the individual quality. Uh, I might regret saying that, but the ones that have the individual quality to sort of create something like nothing can give us that spark. Whereas I think the three mentioned in, in Leco, Magoma and Grant potentially do. Um, hence why I would probably start those guys in this game and obviously go with Mo up top also to play alongside uh, Leco and Grant. So yeah, I mean, I think outside of that, that's kind of the summary for me for Fleetwood. Um, I think the big question is starting lineup wise, you have to change something after that performance. What do you change? Um, in my notes, I've kind of I've got. Do you bring Silly Kai Kai back instead of starting eleven? Potentially, obviously he got about was it thirty or so minutes against um, Charlton midweek. So, is he ready to start? Who knows? But. Whether it's you, you change at the back three or you change at one of the wing backs, I think you have to change something in that back line to not only stop um, the Fleetwood sort of uh, counter attacks in wide areas, but also utilise the wide areas on, on your own. You know, I mean, I think it's definitely an argument to potentially bring Tanai Watson back to right centre back and start Kai Kai at right wing back with Zach Jules playing left wing back. So it's also an argument to say. Ty Watson goes to left wing back and Kai Kai is coming right wing back um, and then potentially go to the same back three or change the back three also. So there's definitely um, options here for Jackson, which is good. It's just what combination you go with and ultimately, is it going to work? Because let's face it, you probably need to get three points here and Dons are probably this, I mean, are they the slight favourites? Who knows? I mean, Fleetwood are not great at home, but Ultimately, they're they're a team with a lot of quality and some decent players who can cause the problems. So, from our perspective, it's very much making sure that we limit those problems and always take take our chances because I think both teams will create quite a few chances in this game. It's just about who is just more clinical in front of goal and can capitalise on their mistakes. You know, these these games have featured goals in the past between us. You know. I think both teams have scored like a ridiculous amount of times they've ever played. So there's going to be goals. Um, it's just it's just who can score more ultimately and get those three points. And obviously, I I really really hope it's it's Don's because it could give us a a massive massive sigh of relief heading into the final two games, which I think we so desperately need after a really really tough season. Um, but I, I I don't know if we're going to get it. I mean, I've. I've been saying for a number of weeks to people I was being to buy your Burton tickets because it, it, it has to go down to the final day for me. It's typical Don's fashion to go down to the final day. Um, it's it's too it's too nicely written in like the EFL script for it not to happen. Um, and with the way Fleetwood have been playing against the, some of the bad teams in the league like recently, okay, they lost to Cambridge, but they smashed Accrington the other week. Um, you know they got they got wandering against Port Vale, but they beat Cambridge previously. They beat Morecambe. Uh, they beat like teams like Peterborough. They beat Charlton. They drew against Plymouth away. Just lost to Burnley in the cup. So they're really not a bad team. Um, and much like Charlton, maybe they should be higher up in the league. But I mean, I suppose that's the beauty of a forty-six game season. It's going to sort of show you where you really belong. And Don's definitely belong down the bottom of the league, unfortunately. And it's going to come down to getting a result against in these last three games where you probably don't expect it and this this could be the best chance. Um obviously Barnsley are a very good team and, and Burton um like their home games and like getting a result in the home games. So 
yeah, I hope that Dons can uh, can get for a minimum a point here. Probably need three to um, I think make our lives uh, a whole lot stress free. But yeah, in terms of Don's segment of the episode, uh, that is that. Thank you for listening to this. Uh, I'm going to dive into a bit of my NFL draft thoughts now. So uh, if you have listened, thank you very much. And uh won't be there Saturday, unfortunately. Um, it's a money thing, really. I, I literally cannot afford it. Um, I think the, the train price is ridiculous going up to Fleetwood. Um, so it's a real shame. But for all you guys that are going, have a great time. I know a few of the lads are, a few of the guys are staying over in Blackpool for the weekends. So enjoy your time there. Um, and yeah, back the boys and hopefully bring in the three points for us. As mentioned, um, before I go, I'm going to give my sort of NFL draft thoughts. Now, there's quite a few um, you guys listen that watch NFL religiously, like myself. Um, and yeah, and I said I'd do one one mock draft, but I thought I'd do another one just for the pod, um, just to sort of because I think a lot of my thoughts have changed slightly since my first one I did. Um, so yeah. Here we are. Um, so the full first round mock, um, four trades. So we'll go from there. So yeah, I think Bryce Young is probably my number one now. Um, I was I was pretty religious to CJ Stroud being at number one pick, but I think it's gotten to the point now where it probably is Bryce Young, which it's not a bad pick. Um, not a pick that I would personally make. Uh, I'd probably go Stroud at one, but he's a very talented player um, and will, if he can overcome his, you know, of course, size is an issue, but more, for me, it's more his weight um, as a quarterback. I think he'd be a great player, and he'll be a great player for uh, for Carolina. Obviously, with te- the Texans wanting Bryce Young at two, um, them not getting him at two is a bit of an awkward one for them. I think they probably stay away from QB at this pick and go Will Anderson, probably the most solid player in the draft overall at the edge from Alabama. Um, yeah, looks really bulletproof overall. I- I'll be surprised they go a different direction. Um, then that also that also puts Arizona at three in all positions. I think they wanted Will Anderson. They probably go with the second best option in Tyree Wilson uh, from Texas Tech, another edge player. Um, my opinion, arguably, the, I think outside Jalen Carter, probably the either second or third best player in the draft. Um, massive potential, um, very similar to Trayvon Walker from last year. Um, so you like the look of him. That kind of falls nicely into the car uh, the Colts. Sorry, pocket in terms of getting them getting CJ Stroud at four, but having to trade up. Um, probably the most NFL ready quarterback out of every one of them that I've seen. Um, pretty consistent, kind of fits into what the Colts have liked in QBs recently. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll be over the moon by getting him at four. Uh, trade up, my first trade of my mock draft of the first round is the Texans getting back into the top five with Seattle um, and taking Will Levis. Um, Apparently, he's their Q, uh, quarterback number two uh, on their board. So, getting him at five as the quarterback three um, will be good value for them. And, obviously, it, Seattle were a team who are potentially looking at quarterback also. So, they uh, yeah, makes two picks in the top five. Um, Lions at six, a uh, bit of a rogue one. I've got them taking Anthony Richardson quarterback. So, the fourth quarterback in six picks. Arguably, the highest potential player in the whole draft. Um, obviously, Goff is a... Very good quarterback who can definitely lead the team moving forward. But Richardson sitting for a year could be a pretty valuable pick. And ultimately, when when is the next time the Lions are going to be picking in the top 10? If they keep their trajectory going um, a long time. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Whilst they have two picks in the first round to take a bit of a punt here and take Anthony Richardson and gamble on their coaching staff that they can sort of make him a 
uh, star, basically. Uh, seven, the Raiders. Um, this has been a common trade spot for me. Um, but in this particular situation, I've got them taking a cornerback in Witherspoon from Illinois. Um, think he is cornerback one for me. Um, you know, a very, very high, very high end player who I think with the Raiders need as much help as they can get at the moment. So getting a player like that um, in the secondary is a good pickup. Um, eight, I've got the Falcons taking Jalen Carter, who I think most people marks wouldn't fall this far, but how the boards fell, I, I think he is let's be a fantastic pick for them. Uh, my best player in draft overall. Obviously, had some issues off the off the football pitch, but. I think overall he his potential is sky sky high and I think the Falcons getting him at eight they'll be over the moon with that and could potentially be the steal of the draft. Um, that kind of puts the Bears in a good position at nine. I think they probably go Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback from Oregon. Um, very much a BPA situation, has best player available, uh, and he is that at this point for me. Um, very solid player. I think the Will Anderson at the secondary in terms of his sort of uh, grading in terms of positions. Um, and yeah, they get they get basically a haul and um, a really good corner, so they're very happy. Uh, Eagles at ten, again, never trade down spot with how the QBs have gone. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that, so I think they'll take Lucas Van Ness, uh, the edge from Iowa. Really like him as a player. I think NFL teams are higher on him than the media are, um, and yeah, a very solid player to add to their defense, which has lost a few pieces um, since their since their Super Bowl loss in the uh, in February. Uh, 11, I do think the Titans go offensive line here. Um, I've been debating between basically Darnell Wright or Paris Johnson. I think it would be Paris Johnson. Um, just just the biggest uh, uh, the biggest and the baddest out of the, all of the offensive tackles, really. So it makes sense for them to grab him at 11, I think. And then the Seattle, when they trade down at 12, get a bit of a steal with Nolan Smith. Really athletic freak, really, and fits in with their picks from previous years in terms of the first round. So didn't get him at 12 they'd be over the moon with that um new york jets again another victim of a player falling in peter skronsky um again debate whether he's a bit more of an interior line um tackle rather than a bit more of a dominant one on the outside but ultimately a fantastic player who can be utilized at multiple positions uh, and the tackle run continues uh 14 with a trade uh with the steelers coming up with uh take new england's 14th pick and take roderick jones from georgia um, again, they need a tackle, um, and again, I think tackles will go very early, very early and Roger Jones is one of the better ones. Uh, 15, Miles Murphy will go to the Green Bay Packers. A um, lot of talk about them taking a the receiver. Don't see it personally. Miles um, Murphy is, again, another one where I think the media is lower on him than the NFL teams are, and I think he goes fairly early, especially with the likes of Anderson, Wilson, um, and Carter, and also Vaness also going um, in the top 10 on that front. Uh, 16th, um, again, a lot of smoke on running back here. Um, whether it's smoke or not, we'll find out. But I've got Washington taking Deontay Banks, a cornerback. Personally, my probably my cornerback two, um, again, taken here at, at three. Uh, I think he's a very, very good player. I think he's the Derek Stinley of this year's draft. So getting him at 16 for Washington to good pick. Uh, with a trade down from uh, New England, they get Jack Smith and Jigba uh, to give Matt Jones another weapon. Seems to be a make or break year for Matt Jones, in which is apparently he's been being traded off. So I think they got to try and help as much as possible and getting him a weapon like JSN, um, who can really play all over the all over the pitch, um, is a a good pickup for them. Um, 
another trade up here. So I've got Minnesota trading with Detroit. Again, I don't think it'll potentially be with Detroit, but around this area of the draft where they could trade up and take uh, B. John Robinson, um, the running back from Texas. Obviously, a lot of chat about where this guy goes. Um, I think with with Dalvin Cook potentially getting cut from the Vikings, I think there's a perfect opportunity here for the the Vikings to in this situation to trade up and give a couple of picks up and and get arguably a top five, top ten player in this draft at eighteen and nineteen uh, place in in that first round. So. Yeah, grabbing grabbing that and keeping their sort of high high powered offense going is a good opportunity for them. Uh, Tampa Bay get I think my oh my fence attack of two and Darnell Wright at nineteen, really really good player. I just think he falls there just because of the board. Um, but again, Tampa Bay will, will want to give uh, whoever their QB is, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask a chance. And uh, I think Darnell Wright gives him a good chance to do that. Um, Next next three picks are wide receivers, um, starting with Zay Flowers at 20, says Seattle. Um, I think Lockett is probably in his last year as a Seahawks, so I think Zay Flowers is arguably the closest prototype to title Lockett in the draft. So as a, as a second pick for Seattle in his first round, obviously getting Nolan Smith earlier, getting Zay Flowers here is a nice, nice one for me, and arguably he could even go earlier than this, um, with obviously rumours that he's been getting recently, but he's been getting... Um, which I hope also for his sake. Uh, 21, Jordan Addison to the Chargers. Um, a lot, a lot of smoke on this one regarding the Chargers coaching staff and Addison and all of that. So I think it's one of the, one of the more secure picks that people can make here. And I think they do go wide receiver. And the Ravens finally helped Lamar Jackson even more after they signed Aguilar and Odell by getting Quinton Johnson at 22. Um, again, offers them something outside, I think, that they probably need. And with Aguilar and Odell being more deeper slash slot threats, I think Johnson gives them that body outside that can help the likes of uh, Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews get more open. In the trade down uh, from the Minnesota trade, uh, Detroit made their second pick and take Joey Porter Jr. at 23. Again, a guy who's fell a bit, but a very talented player who um, I think Detroit would be very happy to get this guy at 23 considering who they took, Andy Richardson at 6. It gives them a solid player who... Maybe we're taking at 18, getting five picks later. Uh, Dalton Kincaid at 24 to the Jaguars. Um, obviously, Evan Engram's on the franchise tag, so he will likely be leaving the organization next year, getting someone like Kincaid, him, who is consensus tight end one from most of the teams, um, is a, a solid trade for them. And again, he can sort of take a year to be a part of the offense, but also learn off one of the best tight ends in the league at the moment. And... Um, Add another high power weapon to Trevor Lawrence's offense, which should have ambitions of getting to uh, make well make a playoff run in the AFC. Twenty five. I do think the Chiefs will trade up here with the Giants to take a wide receiver. Whether that safe flowers falling or in this case Jonathan Mingo from Mississippi being taken, who knows? Um, Mingo's been getting a lot of top thirty visits, and the Chiefs are, I think, pretty um, adamant on taking a wide receiver in the first round. Um, whether that be Flowers, Mingo, or someone like that. Um, could be Marvin Mims, actually. Um, but I just think this happens. Um, whether they trade 25 or earlier, who knows. But this makes a lot of sense. And obviously, it will keep the Mahomes train going over in Kansas City. 26, Dallas always like a like a sort of box office play. And does get much more box office than Dino Washington from Georgia. Tight end. Um, athletic freak um, from the from the combine again uh, looks absolutely incredible 
um, and is definitely um, one of the more raw talents in the draft. So again, a, a year, I think a year, maybe not, maybe not even a year, but a bit of period behind the likes of Jake Ferguson and people like that in the tight end room, uh, and he could be a fantastic player for Dak Prescott and Co. I think the Titans probably trade up here um, with the Bills at 27 and take Hendon Hooker in their second uh, um, first-round pick. Um, been been debating whether to put Hendon Hooker in the first round. Not a big fan, but I think if anyone's going to draft him in the first round, as you know, many of the media seem to think he's going to go there, probably is the Titans with their, and training up with their 41st pick um, and a bit more, of course. Um, obviously, Tannehill was on his final year. I think Hooker is, by the time he's had a year... Um, behind Tannehill, could be ready to start at 26, um, and it's not it's not a lovely pick. It's not like I'm in love with, but I think it could happen. Uh, 28, Michael Mayer will go to the Bengals. Um, again, I, I think the most all-round tight end in the draft. Obviously, offers help with the the blocking game and the passing game also, and very similar to what Hayden Hurst did for them before he moved on. Uh, Clyde Jacanty at 29 goes to the Saints. Honestly, don't know what the Saints are going to do here, so I gave them, in my opinion, the better player available with a good potential in Clyde Jacanty. Could go wide receiver, could go cornerback. Who knows how I've come with Cancy. Um Speaking of cornerback, Eagles could trade out of this pick, but they don't. They take Emmanuel Forbes, um, a player who maybe wasn't going to be a first-round pick until potentially a couple of days ago, um, but he's getting a lot of top 30 visits, um, with Lions in particular. And I think the Eagles might just take a punt on their secondary with essentially some of their more veteran players and on one-year contracts. Uh, finally, the final pick is Osiris Torrance going to the Giants at 31 after trading with the Chiefs uh, to trade down. Um, they need interior defensive line help with Daniel Jones. And I think Osiris Torrance probably is the best player available in that category. Um, and again, it's that final pick in the first round, so you're getting for that extra year, which is invaluable for positions like offensive line. So yeah, that is that. Uh, if you stuck with me for that, well done. Um, I think it's about five, six minutes in the end, so not too bad. But yeah, yeah, look forward to that NFL draft. It'll be interesting. It's always an interesting evening to see what happens. There's also a few surprises that are thrown out. So that'll be completely wrong uh, in about 10 days' time or whatever the draft is. Um, but yeah, I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, hopefully next week, Joe will be back and all well. Uh, but until then, come on, you dons. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.